Hello and welcome to The Naked Scarf. I'm Adam. I'm Andy. And I'm Stephen. And in this episode we're going to be looking at Trial of the Time Lord, part 1 to 4, The Mysterious Planet. That was my mysterious Ooh. voice. Ooh. Um, before we go into the uh, plot details of this, Trial of the Time Lord is obviously one of the more controversial eras of Classic Who, or often considered to be the lowest point, along with series 24, or the Bonnie Langford years, as I like to call them. But what 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 do we think of, of, of this, of Trial of the Time Lord? It's, it's a very curious thing, because the programme itself is basically commenting on its own failings throughout the story, which is an unusual decision. Yes, I think you're seeing Eric Sayward's uh, hatred of the programme leaking through quite strongly at times. But, I mean, generally, I mean, as an old overview of it, do you think it deserves its terrible reputation? It's a tricky one. Um, There are are things to say that are positive and and many, many things to say that are negative. I I think um, it's definitely the nadir of the series, but there are the odd bright spot in there. Like uh, 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 Colin Baker's coat. We know where, uh, you know, uh, if, if, if Joseph ever wants to find his Technicolor dream coat, then we know where he can go find it. But Andy, what's your opinion on uh Oh, it's, it's, it's really terrible, isn't it? Do you, do you find any redeeming features within it? Uh, no. Okay, this is, <laughs> is going to be a short podcast. Well, no, 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 this no is in all fairness, be... some of the effects are hilarious. And, oh, and there's an incredibly... Do we have to, do we, do we have to and, not who for effects? Because, and and there's, there's an in, incredibly cute robot... And yeah, I'm talking about Time of Time Lord in general, the entire thing, not just the one we can go oh, into right, okay. my detail. I was looking at an overall. Uh, Do you overall, think it's the Nadia of the thing. series? I think it's terrible. Okay. Um, <laughs> I have to be honest, I, I I wouldn't call it a guilty pleasure, but I think there are some things I like in it, and a lot that is wrong and, and is badly put together, but you can see what they're trying to do, and not. it's like you can see them reaching and just failing, and... I don't think it's as bad as the reputation suggests. And admittedly, his reputation is so bad that I just I think that the whole enterprise is sort of misconceived from the outset because the very notion of putting the program on trial while it's in the show, trial, while yeah. the show is on trial, seems extraordinarily stupid. Well, basically, I think that what they were trying to do is create the rock opera of Doctor Who. You know, it was supposed to be Tommy. It was supposed to be the Wall, and instead. It was just a bit shit. A bit like Pink Floyd, then. A bit shit. You! How dare you! I cannot I knew believe you would say that. Yeah, no, they are a bit noodly. They anyway, are not! Not for anyway, the slightest. Andy. You know The Wall was at number one in the US album charts for ten years. Do you know Hitler was very popular among some people? Yeah, but not uh, for ten years. Well, about I, I just years. Got, I, sorry, <laughs> I, I, I just, I just Godwin this uh, podcast. I do apologise. <laughs> anyway, Andy, give us your plot synopsis for parts one to oh, four. Oh, really? Okay, Steve, give us your plot synopsis for part <laughs> there, there one. There was a plot. plot. Um, yes, there was. The Doctor rocks up in uh, in a space station, which is full of Time Lords, um, in an incredibly static set where nothing much happens for 14 episodes, but we're just dealing with the first four. Um, he turns up on the planet Ravelox, where, for some reason, Marble Arch Station has survived for two million years. Billion? Billion, maybe. Two billion I don't know. Two, a, a very... A, an unexpectedly long time. Perry seems remarkably distraught at the destruction of Marble Arch Station. In two million years. 
Yeah, which, you know, she lacks a bit of a, a cosmic perspective. Oh, God, I always wanted to give her a slap and tell her to just get on with it. <laughs> but fair play, she's actually wearing clothes in this story, which is a first for Perry, Terrible, really. terrible clothes. Not but she's so not, good. She, but at least she's covering up a little bit, which is quite sensible. Yeah, but that's not what most Doctor Who fans actually want Perry to do. I mean, did she have any other redeeming features apart from not wearing very many clothes? The plot um, synopsis has wandered slightly off. Yes, anyway, <laughs> sorry. Yes, uh, carry on with your plot synopsis. Um, I'm struggling to recall it. Uh, <laughs> there's, there's some underground shit and some overground shit, and the underground <laughs> and the overground shit come together, and then shit gets really real. There's and a lot of stuff about black light, yes. and, and Dibber and, Dibber and Sabalon Glitz, who are a pair oh, of galactic and, 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 and that's, that's the sole-redeeming that, feature of this the, do- the Doctor takes drugs and then tries to show off his black light photos. And then, and then he sees his sex dwarf. No, sorry. I feel I should really explain that. Andy, for some reason, really wants me to put the song "Sex Dwarf" into this podcast at some point. To be fair, Glitz does look a bit like. You think Glitz looks a bit like a sex dwarf? I think so. Ladies and gentlemen, I should also point out it's half eleven at night. We've been drinking, and I have no idea how this is going to go. Um, Okay, so let's forget the plot synopsis because obviously we can't. No, no, no. We can do the plot synopsis. We can do this. Okay. I only, I only put the plot synopsis in because Dave shouts at me if you leave one out, and I don't really care about the plot oh, synopsis. Oh, oh, yeah, I think we forgot to mention that the Doctor seems to go from being at an inquiry to being on trial. <laughs> that was going to be my, my point. This should really be called the Inquiry of the Time Lord, which admittedly doesn't have quite the same dramatic ring. No, Cause... it's it's a bit of shit, really. They don't even tell him what he's really sort of done wrong. And then they go on for a long time saying, yeah, and, and, and this guy, the, the Valiard, is, is appointed to prosecute him. And then he goes on with a lot of evidence that doesn't seem to make any sense. And they're just like recording bits of the story to play back to him. And they're like, explain why this makes any sense. And he's like, I will. And they'll play some more of the story. And then it's like, no, really, the, the, the didn't really answer any right. questions. OK, let, let's talk about some positives of this. First of all, there are some. Yes. In places, actually, in places, the production values look surprisingly high. You mean yeah. for that minute at the beginning? No, 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 not no. That there are the the, I mean, it looks dated, like all who looks dated, like even uh, Christopher Eccleston's first series looks incredibly dated. But you can oh, see there are some yeah, nice sets nice in sets. there. There are a few. They're overly lit, but they're obviously but in places they aren't actually. The, the, the points where they dial down the lighting in the underground yeah. station. And then he steps through into this horribly overlit eighties thing with men dressed in these sort of weird condom hats and, and orange jumpsuits and riding, <laughs> riding a train, train around. Guantanamo Bay chic. And, and, and then there's a thing about well, I'm hunting by stealth. I don't use a train. And then I thought stealth train all aboard the stealth train. <laughs> That's just me. Um, yeah. Uh, oh yeah. Obviously, and obviously, there's that model shot. Uh, which, which is fantastic. Which is the best model shot the original series ever had, and in fact, actually, almost stands up to a lot of the uses. In fact, would totally not. In they fact, did, use that again. Did, did they not use that model shot in the US adverts for the TV movie? Quite possibly. I think they did because uh, which meant it held up in '96. That so. is an extraordinary piece of knowledge to have. Uh, have you not met me? Have you not done the past twenty odd podcasts with me? Did Welcome I? to my world. Yes, Are you probably don't. Are you sure don't. I wasn't under the influence of Rehypno? Or... <laughs> don't, don't make this a rapey podcast, <laughs> please. Please, just have have a little. I, 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 I don't. I don't quite remember it. To tell you the truth. Uh, anyway, I also really like. Uh, 
he um, drugged me and made glitz. me watch the Dominators. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Oh god, I hate you both right now. Um, I really like Glitz and Dibber, Dibbler, Dibber, 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 Dibber in this. I, I, because this is obviously a Robert Holmes script. Now Robert Holmes was absolutely one of the best writers on the classic series. It may say he is the best. This isn't one of his strongest scripts by any stretch. I mean, I don't think it. But I think it, it's, it, it holds together in its own way. I mean, I think the weakest scenes are the trial scenes, which are possibly written by Eric Saywood, though I'm not entirely sure. But I, I, I really like uh, Glitz and Dibber as a, as a Holmesian double act, uh, take a shot. I, I think every time anyone on the podcast talking about Robert Holmes' story says Holmesian double act, so, you know, somebody somewhere should have a drink. Um, and, and they're great. And I love that opening dialogue between them about uh, about Glitz talking about his, his psychiatrist and how how he hates competition and all that and I think it's brilliant and I always like Glitz and I feel it's a bit of a shame that in later stories where, where he does appear he gets a lot softer he gets more comedy I but there think, is a well, slight well there's a slight problem in, in Dragonfire I think he's, he's on his own yeah and he's a Holmesian double act without his without his I always yeah. actually kind of looked at the pair of them and thought it's got a, a little bit of a flicker of uh, Blackadder and Baldrick there. Mm. Yeah, 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 actually, yeah, yeah that, that's fair. But, but it's interesting because, is it Tony Selby who plays Glitz? He does give him, a, at least early on, Edge might be too strong, but you do get the feeling this is a man who would shoot you in the back and then just make which, a joke Which about is why it. it's very surprising that Perry trusts him, despite the fact that his opening lines of dialogue are something also... along the lines of, I'm a psychopathic killer and I'm planning to gas everyone in that underground station. Well, it's I, also I... kind of weird because, uh, you know, um, why Pe- doesn't he kill Perry? It's just, well, he's got know... no reason to, to be fair. I know, but at the same time, you know, he does actually <laughs> go to some efforts. You just say, why doesn't he, he just does, take the he opportunity? Does, he does actually go to some effort to keep her alive in places and keep her... And uh, uh, you would have thought that she had slowed him down. Or... Uh, but to be honest, Perry trusting them, Perry uh, travelled with the Sixth Doctor after he repeatedly tried to, to strangle, to strangle her, her. yeah. And, well, not repeatedly, that's unfair. But also after he's thoroughly unpleasant to her and constantly belittles her at every opportunity. Uh, I'm just so saying, Perry I'm just saying, Perry, Perry has very bad taste in men. I think is what we can agree. Yeah, no, actually, no arguments here. Uh, so, yeah, I, I Glitzen did, but I, I do like. I think they, 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 they add something to the scenes. Joan Sims as. As Donna Noble's uh, descendant, <laughs> as I have decided, she's not actually terrible in the role. I it, think she's it, very good. She's giving it some welly, and she plays it pretty straight. I mean, there is a certain comedy to it, but she doesn't go, "Oh, I've been carry on, so this is me being comedic." And it, I mean, it's interesting to think if they cast that role now, if they made that story now, I they'd probably make the queen some young Amazonian or woman, Catherine Tate, or Catherine Tate, possibly. But but it's interesting to see, this is the thing about British TV and British science fiction and actually British TV in general at that time, is that they do, now there's a lot of young people on TV, he says only 30 years old himself, then, you know, you'd get an older woman to play that slightly Bodicea matriarchal role and it fits better. Mm. And she, she looks she's like not, a burrower. Yeah, she's, you know, like the burrowers, the little people who live under the floorboards. Yeah, yeah, you, you sound like you're saying burrow, as in like... No, no. Burrow. burrow. I'm sorry, I'm posh, Okay. So am I, but um, I'm posher point? than you. Uh, that's up to up for uh, maybe. I, I I sometimes when I drink a drink, I put my pinky and finger in the air without realizing that I'm doing it. That's what she said. Uh, that's not even an innuendo. No, no, that's right. It's not. I do apologize. <laughs> Your girlfriend makes much better use of. Uh, that's what she said. I must say. I'm, I'm sure she does. She's French. Anyway, yes, uh, UK habitats of the Canadian goose. I like that line. That's a good line. Actually, while we're on the subject of Holmesian double acts, well, we're not. We've kind of wandered off it. But 
Wild and Glitz and Dibber were very good. The other sort of Holmesy and double act, which is the sort of terrible twins working for the robot Drathro, mm. are kind of rubbish. Yeah, they're not. They're kind of sort of. They're, they're, great. they're, they're shooting for the Holmesy and double act thing, but they're just quite annoying. Yeah, they're supposed to. I mean, they are supposed to be quite annoying. To be fair, I don't think that's completely out of character, but. Speaking of out of character, the the, the doctor's constant jibes at the valley are—they get boring oh. very quickly. It, By it the feel, third one, I think. yeah, second. I think the trouble is that you feel the doctor should be funny and should at least have some wit, and he's just name calling, and it's a bit like you're a bit like, oh no, I don't. Well, By the time there's that absolutely tortuous bit leading up to the knackers yard gag, mm. it just feels like he's in the House of Commons making a sort of terrible, belaboured. Joke. At least he hasn't told anyone to calm down, dear. True. There is a touch of the Michael winner about six Satire. <laughs> yeah, you see, here we are being relevant uh, by referring to a political event that happened at least four months back. Uh, we could probably try and work in that. some leave some inquiry jokes. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> but let's Mr. Not. Murdoch, I've decided that this is now a trial. <laughs> can, can, you imagine, can, you, <laughs> can you imagine if, if the leave some inquiry... Uh, every 25 minutes had a crash zoom into Wilfred Murdoch's face. That would be amazing. No, it wouldn't. It wouldn't work because every time the camera tried to crash zoom into his face, Wendy Deng would leap out at it. <laughs> and attack him. See, we're so relevant. This podcast would be so dated in six months' time when people don't care about the least, the least an inquiry because, oh, I don't know. I can't think of anything witty. I've been drinking. Um... <laughs> God, this is so symbolic. <laughs> this is the most symbolic one we've ever recorded. This is my influence. I know, I was blaming Andy, but... And, uh, and you thought that he would make it more focused. No, I didn't. <laughs> Drathro, the robot. Ja- Drathro, not Jethro. Not, not <laughs> uh, yes, in which the sixth doctor fights Jethro, the West Country comedian. No, uh, uh, I can't now say his name. The L3. Um, he's... He looks alright, actually. It's, you know, it's yeah, slightly undermined by his habit of sort of wobbling, <laughs> like wobbliness and uh, and his limited hand movement. But um... and his handbag. And the <laughs> yes. yes, we're referring to when he goes to get the, the great secrets, um, and it looks a little bit like he's holding his handbag at the end. Just... Deadliest handbag known to mankind. But yeah. Um... It's much okay. like watching um, this is the fir- this is the first time that we see Dominic Lynn's take on the theme tune. It was only used for this year because obviously then Sylvester McCoy came in and went ah. Thoughts on it? It's quite eighties. I think it's quite entertaining. It is. It is eighties. I mean, arguably, uh, uh, you know, Doctor Who theme tune hasn't really sounded timeless since the first time they used it. Every time now, it always sounds a little more. Even the Murray Gold stuff, it might be orchestra, but it's still got that kind of. It feels modern. Yeah, it seems to sort of wander slightly, you know, like it's being fed through some sort of weird filter. And as some, as I think uh, my flatmate Ben, who was watching this, uh, said, my God, even in the credits they crash zoom on uh, Colin <laughs> Baker's face. Yeah, it, it gets old quickly. Yeah. It's not something you'd want to be watching on shrooms either. Just mm. imagine Colin Baker's face haunting your nightmares, like zooming and unzooming. To, to, be fair to, the, to be fair to the directors, though, there's not much you can do in that courtroom set. They do some nice work with it when he first comes in, when but it's sort it's of unlimited. Limited. And then as soon as they flick the light switch on, you've got this big, flat expanse of wood, 
and um, and the the Oxo mum wearing a doily on. <laughs> I was just thinking the Oxo mum in my head. As well. Linda Bellingham wearing what appears to be some sort of doily on her. But the funny thing is, they gave her like a lighter version of the um, of the Time Lord collar because she has to move around, and yeah. you can't really move around in those original costumes. But it's a very static set; it doesn't allow much no. room for for interesting direction. It's a very it's it's so obviously a courtroom for an alien race to have a courtroom that looks almost like a human courtroom. It feels a bit like lack of imagination. Well, to be fair, I mean that's a, a shorthand. Yeah, I get no, but, no, that's, that's that's a fair point. But just the fact that it's a courtroom drama, just it, it, why why would you do that for fourteen weeks? I mean, it's funny really because they go, oh yes, to the doctor, oh, yes, you've been put on trial before, and it's like, yeah, in the final episode of a story, it's about ten minutes. People say it's about uh, trial, and one of its main problems is. The con and it's even obvious in the first story is the constant flashing to the to the uh, courtroom. The pacing it, is all over the it, place because I I don't know how many of those scripts were written with the courtroom scenes originally. I do think some of them were a lot more inserted by Eric Sayward. I'm fairly certain mm. the ones in Mysterious Planet we didn't watch the making of, but I'm fairly certain Robert Holmes didn't write most of those courtroom scenes. But it absolutely murders the pacing of the program because mm. firstly you're cutting back to this incredibly static set with not very much happening, where the, pretty much the only things Colin Baker can do and the Valyard can do are stand up and sit down again and yeah. dramatically flourish to one side. I, but it doesn't help that they have the characters then commenting on the action. Yeah, I was thinking, trouble is, it tries to be meta, but it just gets a bit irritating when they go, wow, these scenes are pointless. Uh, do we have to have so much violence? Which is possibly a reference to why the series went on quote-unquote hiatus. You know, I'm actually, like, you know, sort of drifting a little bit in my head. And, and while you're speaking, I'm sort of making an amalgamation series in my head, which is Judge John Deed, except that Judge John Deed is the Sixth Doctor. Did you ever watch that? I think I might have seen Judge John Deed one. I'd obviously Judge Dredd with the uh, Sixth Doctor <laughs> in it. They did that in one of the books. Oh, one of the comic strips. No, no, it was one of the Missing Adventures, Burning Heart was written by Dave Stone, who was a Judge Dredd writer. Judge Dredd is actually quite a good pinball machine. Better than the Doctor Who. Mm. Mm. That, okay. that, that's a crossover I if could get you, If you've learnt nothing else from this podcast, <laughs> because we're not being very informative today. Right, next time we do one of these, let, let's try and record earlier. And, and, and I should take notes as well. Yes. Oh, I, I actually started taking notes before Adam did, and then I gave up, and he decided it was a good idea, so... This is... Well, um, <laughs> what, 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 your notes start looking like the journal of a character in an H.P. Lovecraft novel and descending into madness by the end. Yeah. What's nice about this, actually, is, is I mean, we were talking about Perry earlier, is that her and the Six Doctors' relationship is they're not arguing all the time. They're, they, they, from the first scene, they look like people, you can understand why they're travelling together. Apart from their shared terrible fashion sense and colour blindness, there seems to be a genuine friendship there. And they're very obviously playing against lines that are supposed to be them sniping at each other like there is there any intelligent life here you mean apart from me but that the actors are quite deliberately playing against that and try and going no we're bored of arguing we're going to play this as friends the actors is... might be but i don't think the characters still like you know I, I still think a colin the way colin baker's character is written he just comes across like a total dickwad it's uh you know well he's bumptious and arrogant but then you know most of the doctors have yeah been. Perfectly yeah, was. but he was never—he he never had that many redeeming or sympathetic qualities, as far as I was concerned. Probably. I'm not a big Sixth Doctor fan, as you know. 
Uh, you know, you wouldn't have heard any of the big finish that he's done, the audio no, stuff. No, no. I, I although we're, I've, we're, I've been told reviewing. many times by you about how you know yeah. um, it gets better. Yeah. But we're reviewing his performance based on on this series. This. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and and it, well, it's not really. You know, I think he was given bad material. Is end of. I, I I don't you know hold it against Colin Baker in the slightest. He uh, well, he, he did have ridiculous hair, but <laughs> wait, more ridiculous than say Tom Baker's. Because it's pretty much the same, but blonde. Uh, more ridiculous no, than, than no. Nicola Bright's in this story. which no, is... More ridiculous than John Pertwee's in his final years. With the big boof. The Thatcher. The, Thatcher, the Thatcher hair that he had. <laughs> yeah, but... No, no I absolutely cannot Tarleton's... make the comment I was about to make. More ridiculous than Patrick Troughton's beetle wig. Oh, okay, no, you got me there. Not, not more ridiculous. And actually... Sorry, Patty. Sorry. Colin Baker's is perhaps the least ridiculous of all of the doctors. <laughs> oh my God! Yes, you might be right. In in many ways, though, I think that I might have a bit of a thing against it because uh, uh, Colin Baker's hair is, is basically my dad's hair back when he had any, and uh, I inherited. And you hate your father. It's yeah. all coming out now. I, I I inherited his hair and I hated it because, like, imagine you know being a little like you know gawky kid, the tallest in the class, with this massive blonde afro. Just imagine it. You should send your hair back to blonde, and then you could, you can cosplay as a female sixth doctor. There's a rule, a rule thirty sixty four or something. I think. No, no. Sadly, my hair isn't that curly anymore. Exactly. You can still cosplay as a sixth doctor. But why would you do that? It could be like those Halloween costumes that they make, where they go, "This is a sexy nurse," or "This is a sexy Batman." You can be sexy sixth doctor. Oh, God, did I tell you about the fact that my sisters had to buy some sexy nurse outfits for us so we can spend a day cavorting around behind my dad's friends as they ride? <laughs> you might want to. We'll edit that out. No, no, we're keeping that in. <laughs> no, no. There's something for the dad, as John Nathan Turner they're, used to they're, say. They're doing, my dad and his friends, they're doing the uh, Isle of Man TT, except that they're calling it the Isle of Nan, and they're all going to dress up as old-age pensioners. And uh, and ride around it on uh, on mopeds, which you know because it's, it's it, they only do about eight miles an hour. It's, it's probably going to take them the best part of a day. Um, but they just thought it would be funny to get some like footage of like people dressed in nurse outfits running around after them to make sure that you know they they you know if they fall off or something. Will you speed um, it up and play the Benny Hill theme over it? Yeah, actually, I think they're planning on it. But the problem was is that uh, you know my sister and I volunteered. Well, you know my sister really volunteered, but I'm coming with her to drive the hearse down to the Isle of Man so we can follow them around. And, um, and, and Andy's <laughs> parents own the hearse. So. It's my dad, really, but um, but yeah, and uh, and and uh, yeah, um, my little sister was trying to find a non-porny nurse outfit, and it's just impossible. You try finding a non-porny nurse outfit. All I'm saying is, you know, they've released. Well, where do the actual nurses get their nurse outfits from? I don't know. You you can't type nurse outfit into the internet without coming up with one million pages of sexy nurse outfits, and then they've got the NHS supplier right at the back. It, you know? it feels weirdly appropriate that we've ended up sidetracking to talk about sexy nurses when we have Joan Sims in the story in, in, in the Matron it's a style. thing. Yes. Um, Actually, well, I think about it right. You get those t-shirts now from Forbidden Planet which have the Doctor's costume printed on, including my absolute favourite, the Ninth Doctor, which is a t-shirt. T-shirt. A t-shirt with a picture of a t-shirt printed on it. Um, maybe... You know, the next logical step is Halloween Doctor costume, so you can have sexy Seventh Doctor and uh, sexy. Oh my! I think God. I John Pertwee sicked up a little bit in the back and of my throat. Sexy William Hartnell, <laughs> and you know it could be like the, the normal Doctor costume, but with like a little skirt. 
instead and stop looking at me like that. I have been thinking about this a lot. I'm just saying. Well, I know what I'm doing for Halloween now. Sexy William Hartnell. Sexy John Nathan Turner. No, I was going to go with... Sexy John Nathan Turner costume, <laughs> Hawaiian shirt and beard. I was going to say hipster Ariel, but, you know, I definitely won't be going as sexy. And besides, the only one I could even start on, really, is this Tom Baker. So I don't know how sexy I can but make my cricket jumper. Wouldn't you just dress as Lala Ward in Destiny of the Daleks? Yeah, yeah. Well, I can't really, actually. My hair's not blonde anymore. It's red. I can always go back. Um, anyway, where did they get that village? Did, I, did they make that, or did I, they just find it? I suspect it might. Be, one of those... You do get one of these like Stone Age villages that, that, that they, it wouldn't surprise me if that took place there. Though, as I think I said when watching it, when when the tribe of the free go off into the woods, they do a lo- look a little bit like uh, live action role players. And if Lappers. one of them is sh- laughers, if one of them is shouted out. Lightning boat, lightning boat. I wouldn't have been that surprised. I particularly love the ones who are bringing up the rear whenever they charge. <laughs> yes. Sort of half-heartedly wave <laughs> yeah. their spears. It's, it's like, yeah, th- third extra on the right. He's only getting f- twenty quid for the day, so he's like, "We're going to attack." Yeah, and <laughs> also Drathro, not Jethro. Drathro's little uh, robot service robot, which L- is just absolutely precious. L three, L one, L one. Yes, L1. L1. which you what get the feeling is is, is like the slightly um, the cheese men- grater rejects. It, it's the mentally challenged member of the L family. It's the one that you know, like, oh, how are you doing? In many ways, they are their very own Holmesian double act. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it, but it just beeps all the time <laughs> and spins around, <laughs> and spins around very and slowly. Chases people very slowly, and then sends tentacles out <laughs> to grab Colin Baker. So it looks a little bit like he's humping it. <laughs> I, I like to think that's sexy a modern, sick doctor. No. I, I like to think that's a modern day version of like you know Michelangelo's uh, uh, you know sort of great statue of, of, of the Virgin Mary, uh, uh, Mary cradling Jesus Christ's dead body in her hands. Yeah, that's exactly the Pieta. Thank you. You um, need to have a sexy Dathros outfit. Is instead of like the wheelchair, it would just be a long skirt with a slit down the side, obviously, to show your leg because that. Uh, no, wouldn't it be a slit down the side to show your wheel? Well, no, because obviously, well. No, because this is a Halloween costume, isn't it? Sexy Davros. What if you have a wheelchair fetish? I think we're going to dark, dangerous places on this uh, podcast that I never thought we'd go. Sexy Dalek. You could just be a normal Dalek, but painted... There are sexy Dalek costumes. Oh, oh yeah, those. Those Dalek girls. Their costumes. Is this some female jealousy thing? No, I just thought I should probably say something okay. vaguely disparaging. Okay. <laughs> I, I, don't know. The fashion I, I don't know. It just, it just like no. I've I've seen some fantastic pictures actually of of uh, some of the girls at conventions, and um, there there were three in particular Dalekettes, and they made these little dresses with all the little like yeah, yeah, bits on. Um, but they were wrong, and and they had like polystyrene cups on their heads, and they were just walking around all day with toilet plungers. And I thought, you know what, the, that does look the like number a fun ton of fun. Of girls who turn up to conventions dressed as Tardises. Now, it, it, there always seems to be pictures of girls dressed as, like, sexy tie, like TARDIS dresses or TARDIS corsets. So well, it's, it's be... very creative. Yeah, it's, it's become a real but thing. the TARDIS is the least sexy shape imaginable. I mean, a Dalek has a skirt. A TARDIS is a box. Oh, uh, but they turn um, into, like, a dress it... that looks like a yeah. box. A box. A lot, a lot of, well, it has the patterns of a TARDIS on it, if not the, the, the you, you can tell it's supposed shape. to be a TARDIS. It's just not... But yeah, um, uh, you know, there, there, there is a sexy version of the TARDIS now. 
I guess, I guess, yeah, there's the uh, Idris. We've gone completely off topic, haven't we? We're now going to start talking about Doctor's Wife. Um, wrench it back. To... I, what, you mean I'm not allowed to think about Sexy Tardis for a little bit? No, if you could think about Sexy Sixth Doctor instead, that would be good. Aww. Sexy Jones Sexy Jones <laughs> There you go. Aww. Ooh, Matron. Um, One of the things I find quite irritating about um, The Mysterious Planet, I know we're just bitching about it constantly, but... The fact that the characters sort of act inconsistently just so that they can go through the motions of the plot. So that, you know, Dibber and Glitz, uh, or Perry will go along with Dibber and Glitz. Why, it doesn't make any logical sense why she'd do that. Yes, but it does. She already covered that. She has terrible taste in judgment in men. <laughs> she, mar- she marries a, a mad warrior king. Spoilers. Uh, later on. <laughs> Brian Blessed. Brian Blessed. Yeah, so, you know, I mean, as a lovely man, I don't know if you want to marry me, shout in your ear every morning, but we should really just talk about that on the next podcast. But, no, I, I agree, it's not, like I said, it's not Robert Holmes' best script by any stretch of the imagination, it it really isn't. But, I don't think, because the trouble is, this is all the pressure of Doctor Who was put on hiatus for 18 months, they released Doctor in Distress, God help Which us. Which the less said, the better. Let, but we should all answer his SOS. I, th- I can't remember, or it can never quite work out what, what's the worst bit of Doctor in Distress. I think it might be um, Nicholas Courtney trying to sing. <laughs> I really think it might be. And there's also Anthony Alien, but he doesn't really sing so much, he just says lines in his High uh, and the Master voice, which is more acceptable. But think of it, you know, Doctor's been taken off, there's been this big campaign, and it comes back, and you get that opening model shot, and you think, oh, this is going to be amazing. And then the rest of the story is just, it's very who by numbers. Literally, it it really does feel like Escape to Danger or Escape Capture Escape. Yeah, very very much so. I mean, this is always my thing about that kind of the Colin Baker years, particularly is it's when this program starts to feel quite stale. And my argument always is that when the McCoy era comes along, it, it does it doesn't it loses that stale. It always feels a lot fresher to me. It almost feels like a different program because by the this time you're right, it's Capture Escape, Capture Escape, and. That's they just feel like they're going through the motions. Yeah. And, you know, you get the Doctor's big speech with Drathro at the end, which doesn't make a great deal of sense, and then Drathro just sort of wanders off. Yeah, yeah. For, <laughs> for a vast computer, he's very easily fooled by... Uh, yeah, we've got black light. Ooh, yeah, even though it's not something, uh, uh, something you can actually have. You know, for an intelligent computer, it's a bit like, yeah, all right, got to get me handbag. I'll be with you guys in a moment. It's kind of ironic that in this day and age, what the black light is actually best known for is like you know these exploitative reality shows where girls go into guys' bedrooms and and, and look over their sheets with them to see if they. I have been... no idea what you're talking about. Or CSI, you know. Your life is so. Oh yeah, all that. <laughs> no, they used to have a show on MTV or something, and um, and 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 it would basically be like you know some hot person who they could win a date with, and they'd go around kidnapping uh, potential dates in their vans, and then they'd go through their rooms, and they weren't allowed to see what any of them looked like, but they were given Isn't the black that light to see. Several crimes in one. <laughs> well, um, I don't it's like know. It's like the plot sure. of the Saw films. <laughs> 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 Was Joan Sims in it? <laughs> no. Okay. Um, but yeah, no. I, I always found it incredibly intriguing. I, I, I found it really interesting in a post-Kensian context. <laughs> now I know you're just saying these things to try and get away with it. <laughs> okay, so yeah, it's just it is very much by numbers and it, it feels it. And you know, the court scenes might be supposed to give it an edge, but they they grate very quickly. But I, I will admit, I do quite enjoy it still. Mm. I mean, it's very much Who by numbers, but I do like Who, so it's, not, numbers, yeah. it's not even my first choice to watch, but 
I'm. It's not. In fact, I don't think any of of Trial of a Time Lord is is among my top ten least favorite Doctor Who stories. In fact, no, I'm sure they're not. Not maybe not even top twenty because even when, as we'll talk about in later podcasts, when they're bad, they're kind of interesting bad. You can usually find something to admire, and actually, the thing that really struck me, as I say, I was pleasantly surprised by the production values because. Mm. You're kind of conditioned to think of, and it's been a while since I watched this, but it's, you're conditioned to think of the particularly 80s, mid-80s series being very cheap and overlit. And it is in places, yes. but there, there are some quite atmospheric shots in there, and there are some nice settings. So, But oddly enough, this is the time when they stopped shooting on film, mm. because um, the last time they shot on film was Revelation of the Daleks, so I think, and they switched to videotape. Instead of what you'd really hope for, is they switched from videotape to film. But obviously that was not going to happen because it was too expensive. So, any concluding thoughts upon this? I wouldn't bone Colin Baker. Not even Sexy Sixth Doctor? Not even Sexy... Well, actually, who who is Sexy Sixth Doctor? Well, it would be is a, it Colin it, Baker in a skirt? Because that would be twice as insulting. No, it would, it, if, 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 if Halloween costumes had taught me anything, it would be some random girl wearing a, a PVC version of the coat and with a little miniskirt with with those white and, you know, and black stripes down. So it, basically, like it's just as unimaginative as Trial of a Time Lord. What a metaphor! <laughs> I, I don't think that's really a metaphor, but okay. Um, yeah. So I guess next time we'll be doing um, mind warp, mind warp, something. Yeah, parts five to eight. If you want to contact us, you can email us at nakedscarf at gmail.com. We're on Tumblr, nakedscarf.tumblr.com. And we're on Twitter, at nakedscarf. Uh, we have a Facebook group. We have a Facebook group, yes. Uh, see, that's why I need you here, Andy. You always remember the contact details. Um, if, you just look, if you're on Facebook and you search Naked Scarf, we'll really be the only thing that comes up. And until next... You hope, anyway. <laughs> until next time, folks. Take care.